You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. All right. Well, I'm wearing a t-shirt this morning. I'll tell you what happened. So first service, I was, you know, dressed nice for church and my buddy comes up to me. He's like, Ryan, what's up? And I have a big cup of coffee in my hand and he's like, wham. And it goes, and I'm like, I got two minutes before service. And so I'm like, who can help me? And I look over and I see Elder Steve right there in a nice jean shirt. And I say, can, can you follow me real quick? Look at this. And so we walk into the restroom and he's like, all right, here it is. But it's an extra large and it says refrigeration on it. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be awkward. I'm going to have to explain the shirt if I do the refrigeration thing. And then uh, I look at him and he's wearing this shirt. And I'm like, can I have that one? And he goes, yeah, and he pulls off his shirt. I'm like, this is bad. Lock the door. <laughs> so and I pull off my shirt, and we're like, yeah. And so I put on the T-shirt, and I didn't tell the first service. So I just said, hey, I'm cheering on for Mexico, you know? So anyway, uh, so that's, that's the reason for the casualness. But uh, I'm great, grateful you're here. Good morning. I uh, love you so much as a church, and uh, we're going to have a great time this morning. We have a great season ahead of us. Men's 33 series is kicking off. A wonderful uh, subject is fatherhood. Um, men are called to biblical masculinity, and from there, there's a privilege and a wonderful uh, sacred institution uh, called marriage that the man can enter into and become a husband. And then some people have that wonderful calling and privilege to move from being a husband to being a father. And uh, if you have kids or you're trying to have kids or about to have kids, uh, men, this is for you. This is a powerful uh, truth. If you've got kids and they're already grown out and, and gone on, you should do this as a kind of a reset formational foundation and then encouragement to uh, maybe even adult kids that uh, need to embrace what fatherhood looks like. So Tim Kimmel is one of the presenters. He's a personal friend of mine here in the Valley. Um, John Bryson and Tears Green and some of those guys. I know those guys. This is very, 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 very wonderful content. This will be the last uh, video teaching series of a three-year journey that we've done at this church. So I would say this is going to be one of the most special. Um, I'll be hosting it along with a few other guys in our church over the next six weeks. It starts February 20th, so don't miss it. Sign up online. Uh, got a bunch of different announcements I want to share with you for the ladies too. Um, let's see what else we've got. We've got a number of things coming up. Help me out on the screens. I forget. I'm looking on my phone. Try, there it is. A parent's night out. Oh, so this is mom and dad. So how many of you want to get rid of your kids for a little bit? Raise your hand. <laughs> a couple honest ones. Thank you. Uh, parents' night out, it's an opportunity for you just to have fun and, and strengthen your marriage. Uh, have fun. Drop off the kids at the church. Valerie and the team at North Valley, their kids are doing a fantastic job. And what a joy they're doing this for our church. Thank you for doing that. Uh, parents' night out, it's this Saturday. So if you've got kids kindergarten through fifth grade, you can drop them off. Register online. Uh, women's Bible studies coming up. Uh, we're just studying the book of Habakkuk. Let's practice our Bible words today. Habakkuk. It sounded terrible. Let's try that again. Habakkuk. 
There you go. That's the book. It's an 11-week teaching series. Ladies, you're beating me to it. I want to teach that, uh, the book of Habakkuk in the church eventually, but we're stuck in the gospel of John. Been there a year and a half. We're starting chapter 11 this morning. Uh, It's going to be a ton of fun in the gospel of John, but this is a great book. So uh, then there's Moms of Littles, also starts this week. It's a small group book study for moms with kids from birth to five years old. And so I think, uh, who started that group? Would somebody stand up? Whoever started that group, stand up right there. This young lady started the group. Give her a big round of applause. Thank you so much. Um, we're excited about that. So Moms of Little starts this week. If you want to get connected to that, or in, you can register online. Uh, visit us over at the Connection Corner after service. And so all of the events, I want to encourage you just to sign up online. That's the way to do it, northvalley.org, simple domain, northvalley.org. I was out last week, Pastor Bob, good friend of mine, serves on a wise council, uh, advisory council for me, uh, former uh, church planter, founder of AZ Hills Church, great friend. Did he do a good job? Yeah, good, good. Um, he's a great guy. I'm really grateful for him. He spoke about the importance of being a blessing with your words. So if you missed that message, I'd encourage you to go check that out. It'd be really, really good for all, all of us. Um, I was out last week. If I'm never on the stage on Sunday, if I'm ever off, 90% chance I'm out in the field hunting. Just disclaimer. So, and I, am, I could be even suspect to invite people from the church to play hooky and to go hunting with me. So uh, last week I did take a break. I was out in the field, uh, southern Arizona, just outside of Tombstone with two wonderful men um, that lead a national organization called Fathers in the Field where we defend the cause of the fatherless. And we've got several men in our church that have stepped up to that holy calling and uh, serve, uh, I'd say, perhaps one of the greatest needs in our country of fatherless boys. And so John Smith Baker, he's the president. He's the guy on my... Uh, uh, on the right there in the photograph. And uh, he's the, he and then his uh, board member is Kyle, the head of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. We spent a few days together praying, talking, having fun about what would it look like for fathers in the field to ramp up in Arizona. So in the coming weeks, I'm excited to share with you some exciting news about that. And uh, it's just been a great time. And then on Sunday, I was out uh, out in the field, hunting with a couple guys from the church, New Baker and Mike Caputo. I'll tell you guys, they actually are a really good shot. They did great. And uh, that's my dog, Zona. And then my little pup is happy. So a lot of fun uh, this last week for me. Next weekend, don't miss it. My, my dad's coming in town. My mom's coming in town. Love for you guys to meet them. Wonderful family. We're super grateful. So let me pray for us and we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody here today. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring encouragement. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them the joy of their salvation, the joy that you are Lord, the joy that you are a friend, Jesus. And so, Lord, we receive you today. We ask for your word to minister to us and through us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We're in a teaching series called Who is Jesus? And uh, it's been fun. We're, we're about halfway through the Gospel of John. Uh, we've seen a lot about Jesus declaring himself to be God. We've seen a lot about Jesus demonstrating that he is God. And when you ask people about who Jesus is, you get all sorts of answers. Check this out. 
is the question, what is your understanding of who Jesus is? Well, that's, that could be a long question. Yeah, but just from your viewpoint. Well, God, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm an atheist, so. That's okay. Yeah. What is your understanding of, of who he is, though? Do you, do you have any understanding of who he might be? Um. <laughs> You've heard of him? Yeah, I've heard of him, like everybody else. Yeah, I know who he is. Uh, I mean, he's, he's... Do you believe he's a historical figure? Yeah, let's just say that. Okay. Okay. Okay, thank you. I like that. Let's just say that. That's sure. Um, you know, a lot of different people have different uh, positions about who Jesus is. Uh, this gentleman um, is a self-proclaimed atheist, and an atheist means is somebody who believes that there is no God. Um, agnostic would mean I do not know if there is a God, but um, I'm just going to say I'm not sure. I don't have the, an, a right knowledge. An atheist would say, no, there is no God. Um, what I want to do this morning is remind you about what Jesus says about who he is. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's very important um, that you need to uh, be able to defend your faith about who Jesus is and what he said about himself. So this morning, what I want to do is I just want to take just a moment before we turn to John chapter 11 and then just remind you a couple of things. Um, very clearly in the gospel of John, Jesus is clearly to me, and I think so for you, he has already demonstrated that he is God. He's already declared that he is God. He has demonstrated it through miracles. He's declared it through the preaching and the teaching and self-identifying himself as God. Um, let me just re remind you, there's uh, seven signs in the gospel of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus turned water to wine. Uh, in, in John chapter 4, he healed the official son. And then in John 5, he healed the invalid. And continuing in John 6, uh, two different uh, miracles occurred. He fed the multitude. He walked on water. And then in John chapter 9, he healed a blind man. And this morning, we're going to see perhaps the greatest miracle of all times in the life of Jesus Christ, and that's raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, this is going to be a two-part uh, closing series. I'll teach this week in John chapter 11. You're going to get the introduction of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And then next week, I'll close it off in chapter 11. And then we're going to jump into another little short little teaching series uh, that I'll tell you more about next week. So number one, I want to remind you that Jesus has clearly demonstrated that he's God already in the gospel of John. Uh, He's also declared that he is God. Uh, in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of, help me out, life. life. He's, he clearly is communicating that he is the source of life and sustenance. He says in John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. Then he continues on in John chapter 10. He says, I am the door. Then he says in John 10 again, he says, I am the good shepherd. And then in John chapter 11, we're going to see over the next two weeks, now he's going to claim that he is the resurrection and the life. And then in following out in the coming months ahead, we'll see in John 14, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And then John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. So I think... 
I think for all of us, we can clearly see Jesus is very clearly claiming to be Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay. What I, what I want to show you this morning is not only that he is Lord, but he's also friend. Do you know Jesus Christ as friend? Uh, in John chapter 15, he tells his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. And then he says, greater has no, has no one uh, than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Matthew 11 and Matthew, uh, 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 or Luke 7, it says that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and some said he's a glutton, some said he's a drunkard, and some said he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is a friend. This morning, we're going to see that Jesus uh, self-proclaims himself as a friend. Um, have you thought about Jesus Christ as friend? John the Baptist, uh, who inaugurated uh, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, his public ministry in, in John chapter 3, he talked about being a friend of the bridegroom, somebody who was waiting. Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride, and the bridegrooms, I think, are all those ministers and messengers about who Jesus is. And so I want you to see this morning, the title of this message is Jesus is Lord and Jesus as friend. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to run through the passage, uh, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to come back and then I'm going to slow it down and I'm going to explain some of the people, the places, and the different things in the text and then give you some encouraging truths to live by. So let's go ahead. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Uh, Jesus has been uh, near the Jordan River, right where John the Baptist had uh, been baptizing folks. He's got a bit of a respite, and his ministry has turned more private now, and from John chapter 11 to the close of the book, where it was very, very public. Now it's very private, and he's providing a lot of instruction. And then all of a sudden, in this kind of moment of respite along the Jordan River, he receives news that one of his friends is very, very ill. So here we go. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Verse 3, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after, he said, after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to, to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'll go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. 
Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant just taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. I want to pause just for a moment, and uh, since I'm on verse 16 and we hear about the name of Thomas, how many of you are familiar with Thomas as Doubting Thomas? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, he is that apostle. He's one of the 12 apostles. He's mentioned uh, in four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, He is known as the Doubting Thomas. And here, it appears to me like a moment of bravery, right? Like, okay, you know, they're going to stone you, Jesus, if you go. You're so brave. Hey, guys, let's go. I mean, it kind of sounds like a downer too, though. It's like, okay, let's go, that we may die with him. Um, This could be sarcasm. Uh, Thomas could be like, hey, great, let's all go die. You know, Uh, I don't know. Nobody really knows, but uh, Thomas, uh, for sure, Uh, will actually, within church history, the legend goes that Thomas will go on to die for his faith. Church, the the story in church history is that Thomas later, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he goes on to serve the Lord in India. And and today, in in modern day times, still, uh, there is St. Thomas in, in India, and he is, his name is revered as a martyr for the Christian faith. It is true uh, that uh, the disciples uh, most will die a martyr's death. It is true that things are heating up from John chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11. Um, things have been going pretty well. There's been some controversy as Jesus has declared he's God, as he's demonstrated he's God. But moving on from John chapter 11 to the close of the book, hostility increases. And what's very interesting to me in, in the gospel of John the remaining chapters of the book, halfway through, the second half of the book slows it down like slow-mo. And it's the last week of the life of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do as a church is we'll see in, the, in our closing time in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is we're going to go super slow to see all the details and the accounts. And it's his instruction to the disciples about what it looks like to know and to follow Jesus Christ. So that is Thomas for you in the text that was mentioned at this historical event. It's the scene that is being set. So let's go back through verses in the first few verses. It says, now a certain man was ill. Uh, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. It's very clear on the beginning with John as he's recording this event. Um, it's like Lazarus is referred to as Mary's brother or Martha's brother. Have you ever been introduced uh, to somebody and say, hey, uh, this is so-and-so's brother or so-and-so's sister? It's like they're the ones that have the influence. Uh, when I go back to Arkansas, it's always the same. Hey, guys, um, this is Dr. Rice's son, Ryan. And so that is just the way it goes. Uh, 
And next weekend, uh, just for fun, I think it'd be great if you guys meet my dad, say, hey guys, this is Pastor Ryan's dad. (laughs) And uh, so uh, every time I go back to Arkansas, I am never introduced as Pastor Ryan. That's okay. I am Dr. Rice's son. And um, no matter how old I get or what I do and accomplish, that's how they see me because my dad has such a large influence without the greater Little Rock area. And I'm okay with that. Uh, Lazarus is not the main man. Mary and Martha are. Mary's the one, remember, uh, who when Jesus had come over, both Mary and Martha are all excited. Jesus comes over to their house and Mary's like, oh my gosh, the the Messiah's here. Like, I want to spend time with her. And Martha's like, no, the house is not clean. You better get to work, Mary. And then it's like, there's conflict with the ladies. Um, But all throughout the scripture, there's this ongoing kind of like uh, uh, mentioning of uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and that Jesus, this was like a pit stop for him on his way to Jerusalem to the temple. And his disciples would stay there a lot. They would spend time there. And so... As we look at some of these characters, let me just read to you a little bit more about it. Lazarus had obviously lived with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. They were among Jesus' most intimate friends. Uh, You'll see, and you saw that how he calls them friends. On several occasions, he visited their home, which probably served as a headquarters for him during the Passion Week, the last week of his life. Lazarus was at the banquet in Jesus' honor when Mary anointed Jesus' feet. Uh, with costly ointment. And uh, the place where this is, is Bethany. It's a real location. It's on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem. It's a very significant spot. And so Jesus is uh, receiving news. John is showing us some details. He mentions Mary Uh, Mary uh, was the one who goes down in history as the one who's devoted to the Lord. And she anointed the Lord's feet uh, uh, at a feast at her home. Um, She's the one who decided that it's more important to neglect the household duties than to spend time with Jesus. So she wants to spend time with Jesus. And uh, that goes down in history for us as Christians as the one who chose what's more important. Martha, is, she's the one, uh, Luke gives an account of an incident concerning Martha where she's busy prepping the house, serving the food, while her sister Mary's in the other room listening to Jesus. And then Martha pulls Jesus aside. She complains to Jesus and says, you know, uh, Mary is not helping Jesus. I mean, come on. You know, like, this is wrong. And uh, then you get the famous words from Jesus, and he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And for any of you who struggle with anxiety or are obsessive about having your house clean, uh, you know, it's kind of a reminder for us, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about a lot of different things. And then he goes on to say, but Mary has chosen what's more important. And... uh, this story goes down in church history. Um, John, if you actually go forward in John chapter 14, he actually gives the account of that incident. 
So it's interesting that he's mentioning now in John chapter 11, but then he details it in John chapter 14. So the question is as to why? Well, that's because the other gospel writers have already written about it and talked about it, and it was part of the early church's conversations about Mary and Martha. So, you know, if you were a lady back then, you would aspire to be more like a a Mary uh, than a Martha in a sense. And so, poor Martha, that's kind of a bummer, you know. Go down in history as the anxious one who didn't uh, choose the proper priority. But it also shows the humanity of us all, that we all uh, can have wrong priorities. So that is uh, the beginning section. And then this uh, Lazarus, I just say, is he's probably the household provider. So Mary and Martha, um, they probably had some kind of deal between Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that to take care of the home. There's no mention of a father or a mother. And so these are grown-ups that are all living together. And uh, they're like a, they have a ministry of hospitality to Jesus and his disciples. Um, What a great encouragement for us who love to host things for the church and serve the Lord. Um, This is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a These are friends of Jesus and the disciples. And so uh, let's continue to look. Um, Verse 3, it says, So the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I I find that very interesting because um, the women are very, very smart to say this, uh, and their, their mind and heart is in the right place. Um, what we normally would say is if there was bad news and you wanted to get somebody to come help you, you'd be like, hey, uh, you know, they love you so much. You know, you're really important to them. You better show up. But that feels like guilt, doesn't it? And so what they say is something very different. They say, so the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love. Who does Jesus love? He loves Lazarus. He whom you love uh, is, is, is ill. What's the point? The point is, is that I think there's a powerful truth for us is this as believers. Your confidence should not be in your love for God. Rather, your confidence ought to be in God's love for you. And I think that's what was going on right there. Let me show you that point on the screens, but is this, is that your confidence as a believer in relationship with Jesus Christ should not be in your ability to love God. Rather, it should be in God's great love for you. That's exactly what Mary and Martha are doing, are they're reminding the Lord about the Lord's love for them. If you put your ability in your faith is contingent upon your love then guess what? It's not very stable. Because some days you love God and it's great. But the truth is, right, every single one of us are unfaithful at times. But when we're unfaithful, God is still faithful. Amen? When we are unloving, God is still loving. When we feel unworthy, God is still worthy. So as a believer in God, what we have to realize is that our confidence as a Christian doesn't come from our ability to love God. Rather, our confidence as a believer ought to come from God's great love for us. And Mary and Joseph, or Mary and Joseph, look at that. 
Mary and Martha say that. Uh, they mention that. As a believer in Christ, you've got to remind yourself that you're God's child. You're Christ's friend. You've been justified. You've been bought with a price. You're a member of Christ's body. You are a saint. You're adopted into God's family. You have direct access to God. You're complete in Christ. You've been redeemed. You're free from condemnation. The Bible says that you're salt and light of the earth. You're a branch of the true vine. You've been cho chosen and appointed. You are a personal witness to Christ. You're an ambassador of Christ. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, confidence and courage ought to come from the fact that, that you are greatly loved by God. Amen? And that is the appeal that they make to get Jesus uh, to make the request. They don't demand it. They just inform him, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Let's look at verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Uh, here in this uh, text right here, we hear, see the very clear statement that the illness, um, the, the final result's not going to be death. Um, Jesus is planning a resurrection. He's not planning on healing him. He's planning on uh, from death to life is what's going to happen. Uh, continuing on, he says it's for the glory of God. Uh, that probably would have been uh, hard to hear. This is for the glory of God. This is such a crisis. This is such a bad situation. It's for the glory of God. Um, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It reminds me a little bit of John chapter 9 when Jesus healed the blind man. Uh, they came to Jesus and they were questioning uh, everybody around. And the questions were, is, you know, whose sin was this? Uh, was this the man's fault? Why he was born blind, which that was a wrong thought and idea, but they asked it. And then somebody else said, or is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? And Jesus said, no, this man basically, he was born blind. I paraphrase. He was born blind for the glory of God. God can use sickness and suffering and he will, and he has, and he does for the glory of God. The Bible says when we're weak, he is what? He's strong. Sometimes in your suffering, uh, in your sorrow, you're at a point where your heart is more attentive, receptive. You're more easily directed than when everything is good. When everything is good, sometimes you're, you feel, I'm good God, I got it. But when things fall apart sometimes, you need to understand because of God's great love for you, he's going to work it for good. That's powerful. So here's the point. Uh, no matter your story, let's do the point real quick. No matter your story, uh, let's say that together. No matter your story, all right, look at the person on your left or your right and point at them and say, no matter your story, there you go. Here we go. The second part, it's for God's glory. That's powerful. No matter your story, and every one of us have a story, no matter your story, it is for God's glory. So whether you've been wronged, whatever somebody did to you, whatever you did to somebody and you feel remorse, 
whatever mistake, whatever hurt, whatever hang up, whatever trauma, whatever drama, all of that, that's part of your story. No matter your family, your friends, all of that is part of your story. But you come to a powerful place as a believer in Christ when you say, my story is all for God's glory. He doesn't make mistakes. We do. But he takes our mistakes and he turns them into powerful ministries and moments and experiences. So when Jesus tells everybody, hey, this crisis, this whole thing, it's going to be for God's glory. They're like, really? I don't see how this is going to work. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So there, there is Jesus' clear uh, 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 description. Uh, John writes it down. John writes it down. The apostle, he writes it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, this is odd, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why would he stay? Well, he'd already said, this is going to be for God's glory. So what was going on? Did John tell him uh, that he was, uh, uh, he, or does John record for us? He says that he was ill. Um, so it's perhaps uh, that Jesus was waiting two days so that he would die. Um, because Jesus didn't want to uh, show up. Uh, Jesus' plan was not resuscitation to revive somebody who was sick. Jesus' plan is not a resuscitation, but a resurrection. And this would be probably one of the most powerful signs that anybody uh, could uh, witness and see. I think Jesus is doing this to bring a bomb-proof discipleship team that would change the world. Because they knew Lazarus, they loved Lazarus, they hung out with Lazarus, and Jesus doesn't need to show up and just heal somebody. Jesus is going to show up and resurrect somebody from the dead. That's powerful. So he stays put for two days. And then it says, uh, verse 7, then after he said to his, the disciples, after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. So they'd been by there before. Now it's time to go. The time has passed. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? They knew what, what would happen. Uh, this would be very, very close to Jerusalem. The intensity and the hostility of uh, religious Jews were at a fever pitch against Jesus Christ. There is uh, Jesus' face, perhaps, and metaphorically speaking, he's posted on uh, uh, the most wanted. Jerusalem's most wanted. Jesus is everywhere. The buzz is out. This guy's a liar. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. He's got to go down. The entire second half of the Gospel of John all is going to record basically the last week of Jesus' life. He is a man on the run. His disciples are saying, pump the brakes. Let's not go back there. You're going to get stoned to death. We're going to get stoned to death. Stoning was one of the most horrific things. They would take the individual, oftentimes bury them halfway into the sand, and then 
a crowd, a mob would begin to throw stones. And the individual would have a slow, agonizing death. So this is not a, in a fun, go happy moment. You, you want to go back there again? And they're thinking probably too, like he's dead. You waited two days. Like, this is your idea. You waited two days. So he's probably dead. And so verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? In other words, we got time. Let's go. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Uh, this is most likely some kind of proverb kind of saying, uh, which Jesus is referring to the idea that as long as you walk in the light, you're being obedient to the Father's will. And as believers and all throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, there's that mega metaphor that as believers were to walk in the light. And Jesus is saying, as long as we're in the Father's will, everything's going to be okay. So we're going to do that. So continuing on, verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus, there's the friend. He says, it's not just my friend. He says, our friend. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So the disciples are probably confused because they're like asleep. Asleep was a metaphor for death. And uh, some of the Jewish uh, folks understood that. Some did not. And so here's what happens, verse 13. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. For your sake. I mean, that, that sounds harsh, but look again, it says, closing out the verse, and for your sake... Because I told you, Jesus is trying to develop disciples with a bomb-proof faith, an absolute resiliency, a clarity, a conviction. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Lazarus is dead, dead, dead. And we'll see next week, he's been dead by, for, four, for four days by the time Jesus shows up. But the reason why Jesus did this is that so that you may believe, but let us go to him. What's my point here? My point is this, is God's delay is not always God's denial. There's divine delays in life. There's a divine delay in this situation right here. Um, God is sovereign. That means he's in control. Uh, God is providential. He moves all the people and the instances and the situations in our life. And sometimes we think, oh man, this is taking too long. This is going in the wrong direction. What's going on? God's not hearing my prayer. God's not coming. God's not showing up. Well, just remember, God's delay is not always God's denial. And in this situation, it's absolutely not a denial. He is going to show up. And this is going to be a confusing point because you'll see next week Mary and Martha show up and they're very upset with Jesus. They're like, had you been here, Lazarus wouldn't have been dead. Had you shown up? And the principle that we're going to see is that God's delay is not God's denial. And as a Christian, you ought to be incredibly optimistic. 
You're greatly loved by God. Your confidence ought to come not from yourself, but from your Savior. Amen? Your confidence needs to come on not your ability to live out the Christian life. Your confidence ought to come from the security that you are saved, that you are loved, that you're chosen, that you're, you have an eternal purpose. Some of you are getting old in your 70s and 80s and complaining a lot about your age. Well, guess what? To me, you are young. You want to know why? Because the Bible says we live forever. So when you hit a thousand up there, then you can say you're old. You're young. We live forever. I had the privilege to be a part of a memorial um, this weekend, and a lot was spoken about this individual, about his love for Jesus Christ. And I didn't know the man. He was a wonderful man. He served as a United States Air Force. Um, he was a veteran uh, that had passed away. And uh, I got up, I'm not sure exactly what to say because I didn't know him very well. And at the very end of the memorial, I got up and I just said, hey, I didn't know him very well. But I do know the one whom he knows now more clearly. I've known Jesus Christ for 26 years. And I know if we want to ever see him again, the only way we can do that is by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you that the greatest life is the Christian life. You've got to trust in God that you uh, need to place your confidence not in your ability to love God, but rather God's love for you. And no matter what your story is, it is for God's glory. It doesn't matter whatever setback, hang up, uh, challenge that you have in life, God will take the worst situation and turn it to good. It may not be the good that you desire or what American Christianity pumps out, but I trust you, trust me in this, it is good. And you can trust God in it. And God's delay is not God's denial. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray for those um, right now that need encouragement I pray that they would see you, Jesus Christ, as friend, as you've clearly demonstrated in the Scripture and in your life that you are a friend. You're a friend to sinners. You're a friend to the disciples. You offer a friendship to us, and we thank you for that. So, Father, for everyone here that may have been betrayed by a friend or lost a friend, Lord, today, through your Holy Spirit and through the clarity of your Word, Remind our, us in our minds and in our hearts that you are the greatest friend, the most faithful friend, the most loving friend that we could ever have. You've been with us every day of our life. We long to see you face to face. We want to get to know you more. You are a friend. Thank you for that. And Father, for those that know you as Lord, I pray they would worship you and trust you more. They know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would rely on you and might their confidence come from, Lord, your love for them, not their love for you. And Father, for those that do not know you as Lord, I pray today would be a day where they say, I want to know you as Lord. If that is you, just quietly in your seat right now or online or in the courtyard, would you pray with me a simple prayer? and dedicate your life to the Lord. Be saved. Know Him as friend. Know Him as Lord. Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray today and I 
ask that you would forgive me of my sin, acknowledge I've been unworthy, I've been unfaithful, and I acknowledge my sin. Lord Jesus, I believe in you to be the forgiveness of my sins, the healer, the helper, the Lord. Fully God, fully man. And Lord Jesus, I confess you with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are the Lord. And I pray that you would save me. And for all of us, Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and renewed through the truth in, these, in your scripture. You are Lord and you are friend for all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right. Well, there's two ways I want to encourage you to respond in our remaining time today. Uh, number one would be in giving. When you give, you're honoring the Lord with your resources. I want to encourage you, if you've never done that before, to think about it. Maybe today's not the day, but you need to start thinking about honoring the Lord with everything He's given you. In a few weeks, I'm going to do a teaching series on the importance of giving. It's going to be called The Guts and the Glory of Giving. It takes guts, and, but there's glory in it. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if you've never done that before, there's four different ways that you can give. That's a response to the Lord. One of the greatest obstacles we have in our relationship with God is material possessions. One of the greatest things that we can do is by giving, it turns us into something that's incredible. It turns us into a giver. And we want to be givers as believers. So I want to encourage you to think about doing that if you haven't already. And those of you that already do, thank you so much. It builds ministry and missions here at this church. And then the second thing um, that we're going to do today is we're going to receive communion. Remember how much God has given you. You are so loved by God. You have a plan and a purpose. I'm here to remind you of that, that that cross is everything for you. It is your forgiveness. It is your hope. It is your healing. Jesus is Lord over your life. He controls every little detail. He's with you. So do not, do not ever forget that. Take a moment and just prayer. Uh, maybe before you come up for communion. And thank, the, thank Jesus for being the Lord over your life. Thank Jesus for being your best friend. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that in our time of communion, as believers come forward to receive it and take it on their own, that they would be encouraged, renewed, reminded of your great sacrifice for them. Might they, your, their hearts and minds be encouraged and lifted up as they they confess with their mouth that you are Lord, confess with their mouth that you are the closest friend they will ever have. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can come forward as you're ready. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.